Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death dying and other things. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. I've talked a lot about the things that scared me as a child but never about the thing that scared me the absolute most. Or maybe I have. I honestly can't remember all the things I've talked about on this damn show through 50 episodes. Anyway, the thing that kept me up most of all when I was a kid, the thing that sent my heart racing and anxiety through the roof, was aliens. I was convinced I would be abducted, and it seemed like the most terrifying thing that could ever happen to you. I mean, hell. Even E.T. scared me. Aliens were a common fixture in my nightmares, and my daymares, and the main enemy in my head late at night when I was trying to fall back asleep. That didn't stop me from consuming anything I could that had to do with aliens, though. Books and movies and television shows. Growing up in the 90s, there was no shortage of cable television that dramatized abduction stories, and I watched everyone I could. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, a story about aliens. In Flying Upside Down, a family has a close encounter of the third kind. Death and Dying the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. had convinced them it wasn't proper to move in together until they were married, and so they didn't. The house they bought together sat empty for 23 days before their wedding day, and then a further five days for their honeymoon. Their fathers had made sure all of their belongings had gotten into their new home, and that all that was left for them to do when they returned was unpack and start their lives together. So that's what they did. Unpacking two apartments' worth of stuff and filling a home with it is a difficult prospect, and they quickly discovered that, even though in theory all of their things should fit, their old apartments together added up to roughly the size of this new house, it overlapped far too much to be useful. 
especially in rooms like the kitchen. They didn't need two sets of utensils or two completely different sets of dishes. They didn't need two toasters. They could make all their different spatulas and serving spoons and tongs work. But the vast majority of their kitchen was stocked with overlapping accessories. Ditto with the bedroom. Their parents had warned them especially about the bedroom. Now they had two beds, two dressers, and approximately 17 million hangers. And each of them thought that their mattress and their dresser should be the ones to stay. I've had this dresser since college, and the mattress too, Kenny protested. That's precisely the problem, Laura said, how much dead skin is trapped in that mattress, and from how many different people. Gross, Kenny said. Yeah, Laura said. Okay, we'll keep your mattress, but can't we keep the dresser? It's sentimental to me, Kenny said. So is mine. It was my grandmother's, you know that, Laura said. Right. Okay. Kenny trailed off. He looked down at his poor beat-up dresser and thought back over the previous decade. To all the times he ate pizza on top of this dresser because he didn't own another horizontal surface. What if we put it in the closet? Oh, or the garage. I can refinish it, and we could use it for storage out there, Kenny said. I love that, Laura said. Duplicate items alone wasn't the only trouble to combining their belongings, of course. Because both of their apartments had three rooms, a bedroom, a bathroom, and a kitchen-slash-living room, they had plenty of stuff to put there but neither of them had ever had a guest bedroom, or a second bathroom, or a garage even. Laura, in particular, was struck by just how empty those parts of the house were now. An entire hallway with bare white walls. It was like nothing she'd ever seen before. Her parents had lived in the same house her entire life, and it had always been stuffed to the gills with furniture and tchotchkes, not to mention pets and siblings. And nothing was ever plain white. In fact, when she was a teenager, her parents went through some bizarre decorating renaissance. And seemingly overnight, the house took on a purple hue. From top to bottom, Laura's parents redecorated their house in purple pastels, which Laura, now, looked back fondly on. With half of the house bare and empty, she felt slightly cold, despite the house being her new home with the man she loved. Kenny found himself, early on in the third evening of their new life together, alone in the kitchen unpacking the items they had decided to keep, placing each of them in their places in the cabinets and drawers. The other items, like the dish set they decided against, Kenny's, the toaster they didn't need, Laura's, and the utensils that were dull and bent, Kenny's, went into boxes against the wall, dusted to be donated. Laura had just 15 minutes prior stepped out of the front door on her way to the grocery store. They had tired of ordering out the past two nights and wanted to cook a meal together in their kitchen. When Laura had been gone for an hour, Kenny texted her to check if anything was wrong. The store was less than a five-minute drive from their house, and Laura was only buying enough food for the pasta they planned to cook that night. When she had been gone for an hour and a half, Kenny called her, 
and when Laura didn't pick up the phone, he picked up his keys and hurried outside. He found Laura standing in the front yard, car keys in hand and clutched to her chest, having never made it to her car. Kenny hurried over to her and asked her what was wrong. Laura didn't answer. Instead, she stared up at the sky, eyes fixed on something near the horizon. Hey, Kenny said, are you all right? Laura again didn't answer and continued staring at the sky. Kenny turned and followed her gaze, and above the dark tree line, but below the full moon, there was a thin red light, like a small segment of a laser beam, hung on the dark blue tapestry. A plane, or a star, he thought for a fraction of a second, until he noticed that it was moving in a strange way. It was swaying, like a leaf falling to the ground, back and forth, back and forth. Kenny stepped in front of Laura to block her view of the strange red light, and she jumped like she had just been startled out of a deep sleep. She rubbed her eyes and looked around at the dark yard, and then back at Kenny. Are you all right? Kenny asked again. Yeah, yeah, Laura said. Sorry, you startled me. She shivered, crossed her arms, and pulled her sweater tight around her torso. Why am I so cold? She asked. You've been out here for an hour and a half, Kenny said. What? She said. Come on. Let's get you back inside. I'll make you some tea. Kenny led his wife across the damp grass and back inside the house. Before he closed the door behind him, he glanced back at the strange flying object and saw it stretch into the heavens and disappear. That weekend, they had their parents over for a light dinner and drinks and to show them what they'd done with the place since their move-in. The criticism was typical, and centered around the use of the dining room area, which Kenny had convinced Laura to turn into a workspace for her fabric crafts. I don't understand why you'd need this whole area, Laura's mom said while scanning the table, sewing machine, and crates of fabric, yarn, and thread. Aren't you ever going to want to host a dinner party? Doesn't this stuff fit in a closet somewhere? Mom, we have a kitchen table. You just ate at it, Laura said. I know, but aren't you ever going to want to do something fancy? Her mom asked her, repeating the question. Well, I think it's great, Kenny's mom said. A very creative use of the space. Laura's mother rolled her eyes. Sure, what do I know? It looks fine to have all this clutter just out, she said. Why don't we show you the backyard? We can maybe start a fire and relax with our drinks, Kenny said watching Laura's eyes narrow. Kenny shoved a small roll of tinder in between the few logs nestled in the outside fire pit, which he lit. He sat down next to his sullen wife and nudged her. I don't know why they can never respect the choices I make for my life, even down to what I do with the space in my own house, Laura said, watching her parents cross the cool grass and look down at each sickly bush in turn. I think your home is lovely, Kenny's mom said, nestled under a blanket with Kenny's father on the other side of the fire. Thank you, Carol, Laura said. 
It's our home and that's all that matters, Kenny said. That's right, Kenny's father said. Did you know that we used to have a green room in our house before you were born? Kenny shook his head. No, what's that? Kenny's dad sighed and said, A room we only used to smoke green. Kenny rolled his eyes. Okay, Dad. No, it's true. I mean, we painted it green, too, and had lots of plants in there. But really, the only thing we did in there was smoke dope. I don't remember a green room in our house at all, Kenny said. Oh, sure, Kenny's mother said. We had it on the second floor so it was easier to mask the smell when we had guests over. The one right next to the bathroom up there, Kenny's father said. Wait, that was my room, Kenny said. Uh-huh, Kenny's mother said and then launched into a giggle fit. Wait, so my room was your smoking parlor before I was born? Well, I'd call it more of a den, Kenny's father said, and then laughed along with his wife. Great, Kenny said, realizing now that even Laura was laughing. Laugh it up. But Laura didn't. Within moments, she had stopped laughing. Kenny thought her sudden serious demeanor was in response to her parents, both of which were walking back to the house. It wasn't until Laura's father had opened the door, let Laura's mother in ahead of him, and closed the door behind him that he saw it. Just like earlier in the week, in the front yard, Laura had caught sight of some red light in the sky, gently rocking back and forth. Her jaw went slack, her eyes went wide, and she stood up off of her creaky lawn chair. Laura, Kenny said, but her eyes remained fixed in the sky, and she didn't respond. Is she okay, Ken? Kenny's father asked. I don't know. Help me get her inside, Kenny said. Kenny carried Laura back into the house, guided by his father and mother, and brought her to the living room where he laid her down on the couch. What's going on? Laura's mother asked. I don't know. She's been having these fits since we moved in. This has happened before? Laura's father asked. Yes, but she usually comes around within a few minutes, Kenny said. We gotta take her to a hospital, Kenny's father said. No, not yet. We'll give her a minute to come around, Kenny said. You really shouldn't be messing around with your wife's health, Kenny's father said. I'm not messing around, Kenny snapped. We just don't have insurance. No insurance? What do you mean you don't have insurance? Kenny's father said. Come on, we're getting into a hospital, Kenny's father said. You're not taking her anywhere, Kenny snapped, stepping in front of his father. The lights went out. Every one of the five people surrounding Laura stopped their bickering. Laura let out a long, raspy breath expelling every ounce of air in her lungs. The light filtering in from the windows disappeared, leaving the family in near-pitch blackness. What's going on? Kenny's mother squeaked. A light, rich and purple, ascended the windows in a sheet, bathing the six of them in neon. Kenny knelt down to Laura's side and listened close. She wasn't breathing. She's not breathing. We have to... But Laura, seemingly grasped by the rising purple light, rose off of the couch and floated toward the ceiling, where she settled, upside down, 
looking at her family with wide, lifeless eyes. Kenny backed up across the room, stumbling on the coffee table and then the armchair. His in-laws huddled underneath their daughter and took turns screaming her name. Kenny's mother turned to him and again squeaked, What is going on? A soft buzz, like a swarm of mechanical bees, began to rise all around them, seemingly originating from outside the windows. It built, layering over on itself until it had overtaken them. Kenny could see his mother's mouth moving, just feet in front of him, but couldn't hear the words she was saying. He could see his in-laws across the living room, looking up at his floating wife. He saw his mother's eyes nearly pop out of her skull and fix on something behind him, and so he wheeled around. In the short hallway leading to the kitchen, something was approaching. Tall and lanky until its large bulbous head, it walked on four bowed legs. Bathed in that purple light, it was hard to make out much detail, but its head lolled from one side to the other. Kenny turned his head back toward his family to see another one of those things had crawled into the living room through the side hallway and was reaching its long arms toward Laura, still floating against the ceiling. Kenny jumped forward, rushing toward his wife without a single idea what he was going to do. He hit something, or something hit him, and he fell flat on the hard floor, breath knocked from his body. He writhed on the floor for a moment, trying to catch his breath, and looked up toward the ceiling to see that his father-in-law had clotheslined him. He coughed while he watched the being's many fingers wrap around Laura's ankles and drag her through the air. He looked back toward his parents. The other being had his father around the shoulders and was lifting him into the air. Kenny began to catch his breath and rise to his feet, but his father-in-law kicked him in the stomach. Kenny scrambled toward the edge of the room and found himself near the door. His father-in-law and mother-in-law both began to change, their bodies stretching, their legs cracking apart into two sets. Kenny scrambled further, rising to his feet with great effort and stumbled to the front door. He threw open the front door, and in his rush, the toe of his shoe caught the door jam. He threw his other leg, and then his hands, forward, but was unable to catch himself. He found himself tumbling, first across the porch, and then down the three stairs, before his head hit the ground, and he lost consciousness. Kenny awoke to the kiss of the morning sun, warming his cheeks. It was hard to imagine him being left on his own, on the ground, crumpled and unconscious in his old neighborhood, but his new neighborhood was quiet, and so no one being around to find him alone and in distress made some sort of sense. He rubbed his face and found much dried blood and a large lump on his forehead. The splitting headache, rocketing back and forth through his brain, was made worse by the bright sun, and he half-closed his eyes to compensate. He got his footing, and with all four limbs, lifted himself onto his feet. Checking the time, he found it was early still. Not yet eight o'clock in the morning, 
He brushed himself off and noticed several families, small children included, walking westward down his street and glaring at him. They were dressed in their Sunday bests, and now that Kenny thought about it a moment, it was Sunday morning. Sunday morning, and the church was that way. The families were headed to church. He turned back toward his home. The front door, the one he tumbled out of the night before, was closed. He labored up to it, feeling every bruise and scratch on his body as he moved. He hadn't felt anywhere approaching this since that car accident he was in when he was just 23. This, somehow, felt worse. Kenny looked back toward the street. Two of the families passing by had stopped to watch the show. Kenny tried to raise his arm to them, wanting to wave to let them know he was all right, but his right shoulder sent a lightning bolt up to his brain. His left hand, on instinct, shot across his body to support his right arm. He turned, now in a hurry to get back inside. He found the door unlocked, and he quickly stepped inside, shutting the door behind him. The house was filled with the smell of pancakes and bacon. The walls, the furniture, the floors, all of them exactly as he had left them the night before. He walked over to the couch and ran his hand over the pale purple fabric. He knew this wasn't the right color, but he couldn't remember what color the thing was supposed to be. Likewise, the walls, the floors, the tables, the lamps, everything was slightly different shades of purple, like some pastel nightmare, but he couldn't remember what it was supposed to look like. Couldn't remember the colors of his own home. Laura, he shouted through the house. In here, hun, he heard Laura say from the kitchen. Kenny walked across the purple carpet, through the short purple hall, and into the purple kitchen, where he found Laura cooking breakfast. His parents and in-laws were all sitting around the purple kitchen table, drinking coffee out of purple mugs. Where you been, Ken? his father asked him. Coffee? his mother asked. Sit down. I'm almost done with breakfast, Laura said. Kenny sat down, next to his mother, at the table. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, Floating Upside Down, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to cable television in the 90s. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other shows. They're great. New episodes the second Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things. I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows.